0: Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are uh, the Almighty, the one we come before in worship, and uh, we adore you, Lord. We know that you are in control and you care for us. We do pray as, we finishing, as we're finishing up this study in the book of James that you will bless it. Uh, convict our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, when was the last time you got some counseling? I'm talking about biblical counseling. You know, a follower of Christ opened the Word of God to you during a difficult point in your life. And the prescriptions of wisdom that that person gives you can really change your life, right? I don't know if you ever got, uh, you know, marriage counseling, premarriage marriage counseling. Um, it can really impact you um, in a good way. So in this lesson, James is going to give us some more prescriptions of wisdom in a time of great affliction. The main one will have to do with prayer. We often forget this important part of the Christian life. And James will picture for us why prayer is essential for all believers at all times. He gives us two examples to really motivate us to keep praying even when the world is in their sin. And so I'm going to recap a couple lessons because throughout the book of James, he's basically been talking about prayer. So if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we saw a lot of verses throughout the book of James about prayer. And I'll just give you a couple. In James chapter 1, in our intro to James, we learned that James was also known as camel knees, right? He was known as a man of prayer. And his knees were really rough because he was always praying. Um, And so James is an example of prayer uh, throughout church history. And then we talked about, if you look at verse 5... We talked about asking God for wisdom. James reminds us that we need to grow spiritually so we should be praying for wisdom, right? If you are not perfect and complete, you're lacking in something, well, you should be asking God for wisdom. And so we learned about prayer there. Now jump to chapter 2, talking about the living faith of Abraham and Rahab. Uh, We learned that Abraham, if you look at verse 20, uh, let's see here, 24 and 23, That he is a friend of God. And if you read, um, you know, Genesis, Exodus, you read those scriptures, you see that Abraham was always praying. He was praying to God and God was answering his prayer. And then we talked about Rahab. Now, Rahab, verses 25 to 27, she was a woman of faith, right? She was someone who also had a prayer life. She understood who God was, the God of The heaven and the earth, right? Now jump to chapter 4. We learned how there is such a thing as praying selfishly. Remember here, the key word is, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And so, we're reminded to pray with God in mind. And uh, there is a way to pray with right motives. Now continuing... Uh, look at verses 7 to 10. I think this is really key for us. Maybe you overlooked that there's prayer here in verses 7 to 8. Uh, James mentioned how a person must humble themselves before God. Uh, if you look at verse 7, submit therefore to God. And then look at verse 8, draw near to God. And so, as uh, brothers who uh, need to repent of their sins, we ought to be praying and saying, God, here I am, forgive me for all that I've done. And then lastly, um, last week, uh, verses 7 to 12, uh, with prescriptions of, uh, uh, of patience, we see them praying. Why? Because they need to strengthen their hearts. They need to look to the return of Christ. And so, what do they pray? They pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? They know that God is just and, and they need God. They're crying out to God in this time of great conflict. And so, they are praying. And if you remember, we learned about not just an example of patience, but also an example of prayer because of Job, right? Job is crying out to God, praying. And so um, we see so many examples of prayer throughout the book of James. He basically starts and he's going to end with it. So if you have your Bibles, look at James chapter 5, verse 13 with me. Let's read it for today. James 5:13. "If anyone among you suffering, then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful he is to sing praises? And so James gives us two more important imperatives. We could argue they're interchangeable. And so let's look at these uh, imperatives here. After two warnings about falling into judgment, remember, he says, "Do not swear, do not complain, so that you will not be judged." Here, uh, it's going to be more about the topic of prayer. And he's saying, um, if you obey, if you follow, um, if you do this, you're going to be healed. We're going to see that in a little bit. And so he just mentioned to be uh, patient during trials. And so whatever the suffering may be due to, right? We we're, we're see here in verse 13, if anyone among you is suffering, it could be um, either a, a form of discipline, right? Um, or it could be a, a form of mistreatment. Whatever the case may be, the solution remains constant. The believer is to pray given any affliction. And so maybe in our trials, we we tend to want to run away. We tend to want to isolate ourselves. But God is calling us to pray. And so when we suffer, God isn't laughing about it. He's telling us, go to me, go to him, right? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so we see here uh, the first question, is anyone among you suffering that he must pray? But we also see another question, the second one here. It's very similar to the first. He asks, is anyone cheerful? And so why would James ask such a question knowing that his audience is going through trials? Uh, Remember how he started the letter, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so what I believe James is getting at, believers can still have courage in the trials. They can rejoice knowing that God has a purpose for those trials. And so what is the proper response? It's to worship God. Even when all things seem to be going wrong, we know God is working all things for our good. And so James commands us to sing praises. You can translate that to sing a song. When you are going through trials and you know that you're blessed, we are commanded to praise God. Now, I want to bring up an interesting point because I really believe these imperatives are interchangeable. When you are suffering, does that mean that you can just not praise God? No, of course not. We, on the contrary, we should praise God. Remember Paul and Silas when they're in prison? What are they doing? They're worshiping God. And so we're called uh, to pray Uh, sing praises even when we're suffering. And we're also uh, called to be cheerful. Um, And and it says here in verse uh, 13, if anyone is cheerful, he is then to sing praises. Why wouldn't we also pray? And so we see here, if you are cheerful, pray and sing praises. If you are suffering, pray and sing praises. Now, I guess a good question would be, when was the last time you sang praises to God, right? Um, it should be a daily occurrence of worship to the Lord. And, and so let that motivate you a little bit uh, at, at 11 o'clock when we we're upstairs uh, praising our Lord to sing a little bit louder, all right? Let's continue here to our next verse, verse 14. Uh, but Any questions or comments here on these two imperatives? There are six today. Any questions on these first two? Pretty simple here, straightforward. All right, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of our Lord. And so in this verse, we have two more commands from James, but they're for specific people, right? There's a brother who is weak or sick, and then the other people he's going to target is the elders of the church. And so we're also going to see a very interesting topic here and that is uh, the anointing oil. Uh, I'm looking forward to talk about that a little bit. It should be interesting. All right, so the word for sick can also be translated weak, right? It means without strength. Uh, this person could be going through a spiritual weakness in the trials. Uh, he is at a point where it would be wise to reach out uh, to other brothers about his situation. And so this should remind us that prayer is not an individual practice. It, there's also a corporate aspect to it. Uh, We may not know why exactly this person is sick. It could be that they are being disciplined for a sin uh, while they were uh, in the trials. They were obviously groaning or they were um, complaining, uh, lashing out at their brothers, whatever it may be. Or it could be that they're just like Job, right? They're living a righteous life, but because of God going to glorify himself through this person's witness, they are going through a sickness, a trial, and, and they're going to testify to the healing power uh, of God to the rest of the world. So, like I said, whatever reason uh, the sickness has come about, um, you know, it's not really referring to just a simple cold. Um, this is something very serious. And so the sick here, they're called to summon or call for the elders of the church. Again, as believers, we need each other, especially In these moments of weakness, right? We need this accountability and for others to pray for us. And so rather than hiding and isolating ourselves, we ought to follow this biblical model of restoration. And so uh, I have two examples uh, in this lesson here. The first one uh, of biblical prayer is the example of the elders of the church, right? We know the elders, they are men who are above reproach. They are not self-willed or quick-tempered. They are hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-control, according to Titus. And so we read about how the 12 apostles in the book of Acts, what did they do? They devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so in the book of James here, uh, we see he is calling the elders to pray, right? That's the imperative here. And so to pray, that's going to require their time. Uh, that means that elders need to be ready to answer the call for their brother who is in great weakness. And so they must go and pray for this brother or sister in Christ in great need. And this doesn't mean that the elders have some special power or they're superior to the weak brother. However, it does point that there's order and structure in God's church, right? He's appointed shepherds to. Uh, take care of the flock. And the elders must not neglect this important ministry of prayer for the sick, right? Uh, I want us to turn to Galatians 6. Galatians 6, verse 1. I think it ties it up uh, pretty good here about caring for those in need. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And so pastors, they are to exercise this oversight over the flock, right? This should, uh, they should make sure that the brothers in Christ are growing spiritually and being restored when they fall. And so the church needs elders that pray for those who are weak or else the church will remain weak. All right, any... Um, Comments here, questions about spiritual weakness. Uh, we're talking about elders, um, prayer, Any, anything? That's the first example of biblical prayer here. All right. We'll keep it going then. Uh, let's continue here. Now I'm sure we'll have some discussion here. Interesting point. Uh, anointing oil. Okay, let's talk about this. Look at the end of verse 14 of James 1, uh, James 5. It says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, all right? So what is James talking about here? Uh, We might easily get caught up with that oil part, right? It's uh, olive oil in the Greek there. But the best way to understand this verse, I believe, is to focus on and understand what is he talking about when he's saying anointing, right? Uh, The word anoint, if you read Exodus 40, 15 and Numbers 3, 3, it's talking about anointing of priests, right? And so, I'm going to make the argument that anointing pictures God is at work, right? He's working in a spiritual way. And this, again, should remind us of God's order and structure. We may not observe it with our eyes, but as the elders are praying, God is doing something amazing. I also want you to see another verse here. Go to Mark 6, Mark 6, verse 13. So we read about the 12 apostles here being sent out to preach that men should repent. And notice here, they were casting out many demons in verse 13. And what were they doing? They were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And so, like I said, I'll make the argument that God is clearly working through the apostles. And so we can conclude that the anointing is an outward and physical visible sign of the power of prayer, as well as the sign of the authority of the healer. Now, what about the oil? Olive oil, we know, uh, during that time was uh, known as a medical agent, okay? But does that mean that God needed the oil to do the healing, right? He needed that oil. Uh, verse 15 makes it clear when it says that it is the prayer offered in faith that will heal the sick, right? It's not oil with the special power to heal the sick. So the oil can simply represent the healing power or the presence of God. But let's not forget that the oil should be applied in the name of the Lord, right? That's another important part of this verse. There is healing in Jesus alone, right? No other name. And so when the elders pray, they must have the Lord in mind. And so that demonstrates that they're trusting in the Lord for this, right? They're trusting in the Lord for this healing. All right. There's a lot of uh, debate and controversy on this verse, but anyone uh, want to crack at it? Anyone want to talk about the anointing oil? Or maybe you've, you've seen uh, the anointing oil being used in different ways. Uh, anyone have experience with that? Yeah, sure. I have deep testimony about um, uh, oil. Okay. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. God exactly. We're We're being God using the oil. Yeah, yeah. Is that wrong with that. that? I was like sick, more one year, more than one year when I lost my baby. Mhm. Yeah, I lost my baby when
1: I, he, um, he was eight Yeah. After Mhm. Uh, so I was one year crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. I a crazy in my life. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: They just they put me uh, injections for
1: vitamins and everything mm. to the pharmacy
0: for one. Yeah. And by they have um they
2: opened church because they are doing a like, campaign to preach to preach mm-hmm. and it was the, the church was open and uh, I was passing by and, and the pastor said the person is in, is coming to the church because I was looking at the church and said, God I need something. Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't eat I didn't sleep.
0: I, I was so sick.
2: Mm. So the pastor said the person who's coming, she needs help. She mm. needs to be healed.
1: Yeah. So I went to it, Please can you come to the prom? So I went
2: to the prom. Mm. He put oil in my head.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I feel I,
2: and my life changed. Everything.
1: Mm. I can't sleep. I
2: went to the house. I, I can sleep. I can. I can eat. I can think properly.
0: Wow. And yeah, there's definitely many testimonies of where the Lord, um, like like you and my sister, who's going through a spiritual weakness, and uh, you have elders or, or, or people praying. And obviously, we know the answer again is is the person who offers the prayer up in faith, right? Um, it is God who is doing that work in the person. Anyone else? Yep. Bob.
1: Mhm. Uh, my my own understanding is let's have charity with one another when there are differences. Of, mm-hmm.
0: of course. Things.
1: But uh, I think the one caviar you, you don't go on to
0: be superstitious about the oil. Oh yeah, no, of course and not. The oil has some direct power in it. Mhm. So I think the, the Yeah. The same. Yeah. Good good point Bob. I know there's some uh false teachers out there called um Bara de uh stop the suffering. And they basically say, hey, buy this rose and you're good for $150 and it's going to heal you. So obviously there's extremes here. Uh, Barbara, did you have something? Yeah. Um, I was attending uh, the Presbyterian Church in the Pobstah, uh-huh. the Evangelical Church. Okay. And um, my father died. Mm. At that time, I had extreme fatigue wow. to the point where I could barely stand. The mm-hmm. minister um, had just started using oil sometimes. Okay. I don't know, it took, it took yeah. a class in it or something. Okay. The I just began doing this. Hmm. And I went to the service and went up and he anointed me and prayed. And I know that it just... Wow. Just, you know, same and again, I, I would make the point, like you had faith or, or the... Obviously, the elder in this particular text in the book of James is um, talking about the faith of the elders. And so... Very good point. Oh, last one. All right. Go ahead. Where do you put the oil? How does it work? Yeah, so we would have to go to the context in the in the gospels um, some believe it was on the head. Um, whatever it is, I, I think it's just a... cuz I think in the anointing in the Old Testament there was it was mainly on the head, but um, you pour it on or dab it on? Yeah, that's that's I think a good question. Like I said, I I would say um whether it was pouring or, or anointing, the, the act of having some olive oil was was the key there. Um, I mean, yeah, you could, you could get into different, you know, you have to bathe your whole body in it. <laughs> but no, it, um, I think the, the point there is just yeah, making sure that the person is, whoever's praying, uh, is trusting the Lord. And obviously, it's, it's for the Lord's will. And in those cases that you both brought up... Um, in that spiritual weakness, the Lord wants you to be restored, Um, and and he wants us to be restored when we're going through these tough trials, uh, to keep going, and and to be a testimony, and a light, Um, and so yes, the Lord could heal, um, and it's amazing when he does, right, and we'll get into a little bit more. Uh, All right, last one, Joe, if you had something. Yes, so like I said, there's a lot of different um, interpretations of this text. Uh, but yes, um, one of the main, there's, there's two words in the Greek for uh, anoint. Um, the one we have here, uh, some would argue, is kind of more like a, a simple uh, anointing. And then there's another one that, like you brought up, the sacred, and, and this is like you're calling them out. Um, but yeah, but, but good point. Let's continue here, though. Um, go to James chapter 5, verse 15. And very good points here, everyone. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Look at verse 15 here. It says, uh, What happens to that? uh, What's the outcome of that weak brother? And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. And so we observe here the importance of faith and an illustration of restoration. So let's talk about faith a little bit here. Uh, James brings us back to the beginning of his letter when he states the prayer of faith. Remember, the elders are to have faith. We know that God answers the prayer of his people. People of faith. And so if you remember James 1, verse 6, we were told that we must ask in faith, right, for wisdom, without any doubting. For the double-minded man is unstable in his ways, right? He is not to expect anything from the Lord. But on the flip side, what about those who aren't double-minded? They are depending on the Lord with all their hearts. They should expect to receive from the Lord. And so God will answer the prayer of faith. And we know that uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that those who were praying to the Lord, to the Father, they would be rewarded, right, in secret. We also know in, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, That our Father who is in the heaven will give what is good to those who ask Him. Remember, it's not like, um, you know, if you ask me uh, for a fish, I'll give you a stone. It's like, if you need something, I I will provide. Um, And obviously, He's talking there about uh, real needs, not desires, what we want, and all that. But here's the key. It's not some kind of word of faith movement, right? It's not this name it and claim it, and you'll be healed. Um, No, this is about caring for a brother or sister in need, right? It's, if it's the Lord's will, we would love to see this person restored and healed. And so, what does the prayer of faith accomplish in the book of James? James gives us this picture, this illustration of restoration, and it's beautiful. Here is a weak brother in Christ who is in need of restoration, and so God is going to grant that this person is healed, Uh, The word for restore, it can be translated to save or to heal, which is the same word James is going to use at the very last verse. He writes, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so let's summarize this um, process of restoration for a person who is weak. Uh, So I have it up there. The, the man, what is he supposed to do? He summons the elders, right? The first thing he does is call, let him know that he's in trouble, he's in the spiritual weakness. Second thing, the elders, they answer the call. They come and they pray over him. And then number three, we see what happens after that, that the man is being restored. Now, it, if you look at verse 15, not only restored, it says here, he will also be raised up and forgiven if he has committed sins. And it's very interesting. In a similar way that James told us to ask God for wisdom, right? He knows we need to grow in maturity. And we can ask God for wisdom uh, because he is a God who gives without reproach. Right? He, he is generous to all. And so James is here giving us a biblical formula for restoration when we're weak. No one is immune to weakness, right? May we not think we're above that process. I'll never get to those lows that I hear my other brothers or sisters are at. No, no, no. It could be us that are the next ones to summon the elders. And so the same way James stated that God will give wisdom to all who ask him, this is the same guarantee we have here for restoration if we follow this biblical model. And so God is gracious to forgive even the worst sin imaginable, and he's also gracious to restore a person in great need that feel like they're on their last, uh, you know, lifeline. But it's very key that we do not hide. We must be honest, which brings us to our next topic, uh, biblical confession. So look at verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, con- confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so again, we're reminded of prayer and the importance of being accountable to one another. We have two more commands from James, and these are the last two in the whole book. These are the last two of 54 imperatives. Remember, it's like a drill sergeant. Here it is. We're finally done with all the imperatives. Just these last two. Uh, James gives us this illustration of uh, restoration after he gave us that um, Now he's going to say, you need to confess, right? He's going to tell us our need to confess. And then uh, how we ought to confess to one another, right? So this Christian life, it's not a lonely faith. It involves, yes, caring for others, right? Care for the orphan and widow and their distress, but also that we are cared by others, right? Maybe you struggle with this. You always give, give, give. You're always taking care of people, and then you're like, I'm overwhelmed, Yeah, because you're not being taken care of by others. We need to have a balance, right? Um, There's times where we're going to need each other. And so God, he forgives sinners, uh, but sinners need to come to this place of humility, right? They need to realize that God has placed other believers in their life to pray for them and to keep them accountable. And so how does biblical confession look like? Can can anyone tell me what does biblical confession look like? You could borrow from other texts in Matthew, but biblical confession. Let's say I committed a sin against you. What am I supposed to do? Ask for forgiveness. Okay. Ask for forgiveness. Yes, that is huge, and we're going to get there. That's it? Just ask for forgiveness? That the same thing. Yes, repentance. Yep. All right. Well, James told us two key ones. You had one? Anyone back there? I don't know, I saw a hand. Okay, Glenn. Restoration. restoration yes, you want to, uh, maybe the better word would be reconcile. Rest, um, you know, having a, a time of restoration, but you're going to re- reconcile in that relationship. Yeah, so let's talk about it. Now, maybe you grew up uh, as a Catholic, as myself. Um, it's not going to the Catholic priest, right, for confession. First um, 1 John 1, 1.9, it tells us that we are to confess our sins to God. And so what is James trying to say here? Um, confess your sins to one another, right? Believers, there's this assumption that we're going to sin. And so James just spoke about not groaning against one another, not speaking against one another. And so given our context, James is calling believers to ask for forgiveness. And so you have wronged your brother, so what should you do? You should go to them and confess your sin, right? For example, you can say, my dear brother, Forgive me for groaning or speaking against you. Maybe gossip, whatever it was. I am not the judge, but I've been acting like it. And so this is about an accountability and acknowledging that you were wrong and you sinned. And God is calling us to reconcile. Right? I want you to see this in uh, Matthew 18, 21. Um, next week will be uh, in Matthew 18 for a specific verse. Uh, but for our purposes here in verse 21. Imagine Peter being the one that got sin against, right? Someone offended Peter. <laughs> and uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Maybe it was Andrew, right? His brother. You guys know, family, you guys always attacking one another sometimes. Um, <coughs> and uh, he says... Up to seven times, should I forgive him? That's kind of nice, right? Fair, seven times. What does Jesus respond? Of course, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And so we see here, um, when a brother sins against you, other brother who was sinned against should have this humility and love like Christ did and is willing to forgive their brother. 70 times 7, right? It's uh, immeasurable. It's the same way God has forgiven us. God has forgiven us of a major debt. And so we should take that and say, Whoa, I've been forgiven of so much. And if this dear brother has offended me, I can forgive him too. And so if we're going to properly worship God at church, we have to be in the business of reconciliation with our brothers. I like what Hebrew writes. Uh, He says, Unconfessed sins have an upward as well as an outward impact on the life of a believer. Such sins block the pathway of prayer to God and hinder interpersonal relations. Right? We, we saw this in uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, uh, husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. Right? They're supposed to show her honor as a fellow heir in this grace of life. So that what? that their prayers will not be hindered. And so, if we're not confessing our sins to one another, what are we saying? We're prideful. We're above it. You know? and, and so, we're supposed to be humble, right? And that's what James is calling us again. Humble yourselves. And so, we confess our sins to one another. But not just that. Our last command in the book of James is, we pray for one another. As the elders were summoned to pray in faith, all believers are called to pray in faith. If we do not pray and we decide to continue in our sins of groaning and complaining against one another, we're going to be judged, right? But if we confess and pray for one another, it says there, so that you will be healed. It's that simple. You follow God and you'll be blessed, you disobey God, and you'll be disciplined. Now, James, he's going to motivate us with one more statement about the power of prayer before his last illustration here. Look at the end of verse 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. This should remind us of this blessed doer of God's work throughout the book of James, right? A righteous man, someone who has been obeying the word of God. They've been loving God and loving their neighbor. They've been a person of faith, right? Just like Abraham and Rahab, they have a faith that works. This person is gentle, wise, they're pure, peaceful, they're not a hypocrite, they're full of mercy. And so uh, I believe he's also referring to the righteous man in in chapter 5, verse uh, 6, right? That person is willing to die for the truth. And so even in the trials, uh, this wise man is patient and they are considering it all joy. Now, when a true believer prays, God is willing to answer that prayer. In this case, in the context of forgiveness, God promises to forgive us if we ask Him. Right? We can see that uh, again in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think this is going to be my last time i referred to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in Matthew 6.14, remember, For if you forgive others of their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. And Jesus taught us also how to pray. That we are to pray that God will forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so God will answer this prayer. God is willing to restore us. And so James gives us that illustration to picture for us um, how God answers in this great way. And so we'll end with this. Uh, Let's look at the last two verses in verse 17 and 18 here with Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. And so after saying that the prayer of a righteous man can do much, he gives us an example to consider, that second example of biblical prayer and this illustration. So here's our second example. The first one was the elders. Now we have here Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was a famous prophet of the Jewish people. A lot of them viewed him as some kind of superhero, Um, but he wasn't. He was a sinner like us. James states that he had a nature like ours, or he had feelings like us. And so Elijah went through similar trials like the audience of James, right? He was hated and persecuted for speaking the truth. And he also needed the Lord to provide in difficult times. And so the same God who helped Elijah in trials is willing to help us too. Uh, We can pray just like Elijah did. Uh, Moiter writes, Elijah could rise to the heights of faith and commitment and fall into depths of despair and depression. He could be brave and resolute sometimes and then fly for his life at the whiff of danger. He could be selfless in his concern for others and then filled with self-pity. In other words, he was an ordinary person But he was right with God. Or in the terms of James, his faith was active with works and it reckoned to him as righteousness. And so don't think for a moment that your prayer is weak because you are not a prophet. It's not about how spiritual you are. It's about who God is. Remember, we're praying to him. Of course, we can't overlook the fact that God answers the prayer of his believers, right? People who have real faith. And that brings us back to that major theme of the book, do not be deceived right? Do not be deceived. So God answers prayers, but he doesn't answer prayers to those who uh, hate him, who who reject him. And so like Elijah said to all the people, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And so like Elijah, we need to come to that conclusion that the Lord is God and we're going to follow him even in the toughest of trials. All right, any comments here? Uh, Anything that stood out? Uh, Elijah always a great person to talk about. Mm-hmm. I have another um, question. Sure. Um uh, it is a big question uh, because um in the second time when uh, I was my
2: second my second uh, son.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um he was in the hospital
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was he was uh in a retention um detention, detention room. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. we have a meeting today on Friday. Yeah. And I pray for him.
2: And I say, God, you are powerful.
1: Mm. I have chosen you and I know you want
2: to understand me. I'm pretty sure. I, I know you want mm. And the next day, uh, he passes. He, he yeah. So and I say, why? Mm. Not to my Lord, but in the group where I pray. Yeah. And my, my sister said, my sister in Christ said, you don't have enough faith. Mm. So it's making me less yeah
0: Yeah, interesting point um we i wonder if that same person will tell job you didn't have enough faith job um no job had a plenty of faith uh but god used the trials meet and here's the interesting part god doesn't answer job why it happened um why he went and lost many of his kids Uh, but uh job trusted the lord so we may never know that answer but uh, the main context here, what it's talking about is a, a, a Christian who is going through spiritual weakness. Um, so I think your first example was really fitting to the context of the passage and the Lord does desire to restore. Um, but then the second thing, I think that's just part of the trials where God has a purpose, uh, works all things for our good. We may not understand it, uh, but one day Lord, the Lord will uh, help us um, you know, see just what he was doing there. Um. But, yeah, good, good uh, thought. Anyone else here? Something specific about Elijah? Uh-huh. I thought about Elijah, about I think confessing to one another,
1: uh, I think yep. it's a gift that God gives us in the body of Christ. To, uh, I've seen extremes where a person gets up in front of uh, the Holy Church and confesses to a priest. Yeah. But, but to me, I just think sure, I think go on. I think that uh, God, we, we could have a thinking about the accountability. mm Yeah. I think God also sometimes gives us a person to, mm-hmm. and you, you, you want to, you, you've got to set sin in your life, yeah. and, it's, and it's eating you up, and you know mm-hmm. how long you're really having difficult times. Yes. And, and the person, just like the Catholic Church had a priest, I'm not saying that, anything about that, I'm saying that you mm-hmm. find a brother or a sister yeah. where you said, look, I'd like, to, I'd
0: like to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. No, very good point. I think that was something that um, I forgot to mention while we talked about confession. Yeah, it's not like you go and and, and tell everyone about your sin. Yeah, I think it's good. And we'll see that next week a little bit more in Matthew. Um, uh, But you go to a dear brother, a trusted brother, um, someone who is spiritual, someone who is um, walking with the Lord, and and yeah, you you do that. Um, But yes, very good point. Let's not forget that. Uh, but we got to get this done here. Look at um, this illustration of rain uh, in verse 17. James wants us to think about a time that God answered the prayer of Elijah, right? It should encourage us to pray. In verse 17, he tells Elijah, uh, it tells us that Elijah prayed a prayer, right? That's, that's the more literal translation there in the Greek, that it would not rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years, we read about that in the book of Kings. And then Jesus confirms it in Luke 4, uh, 4.25. He says there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And so clearly God is at work in this miraculous way for it not to rain for such a time. And so God was calling his people to repent. And he had this purpose for this famine. Uh, and so he, what was happening there? If you read, if you go back to 1 Kings, he was judging Ahab for his sins of idolatry. Remember, Ahab is the king of Israel and he was committing spiritual adultery. Uh, he was being a friend of the world with their many false gods, right? They were worshiping and, and, you know, putting up those shrines and whatnot. But the point of the illustration is to know that God answers the prayer of his servants, right? And it's going to accomplish this great work for the Lord to restore his people back to him. Uh, This prayer would cause many to see that God is on the side of Elijah. Um, So another example of of prayer here for Elijah, if you remember on Mount Carmel, uh, he's calling out to God to answer with fire. Um, If you you know, um, in 1 Kings 18, what does he do? He orders much water to be poured on the wood and the burnt offering. And then he says, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Israel. Today let it be known that you are the God of Israel, that I am your servant and I have done all these things according to your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this may, that these people may know you, that you are the Lord and that you've turned their hearts back again. And so what does God do? He brings the fire and the people, they respond by falling on their faces and they say, Baal is God. No, no, no. They say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, yeah, Yahweh is God. And so Elijah's prayer was used to bring many people to repentance. His prayer was not in vain. I I like this point. Abraham and Rahab uh, showed us that faith without works is dead. But what does Job and Elijah teach us? That faith without prayer is dead. And so God uses prayer. May we never forget that. And God, he doesn't just answer one of our prayers, right? Notice the last verse. It says there, that he prayed again, right? He is persistent like the widow in Luke 18, who kept asking that unjust judge for legal protection from her opponent. Or the widow in Luke 2, who prays day and night in the temple. We observe uh, this prayer at the end of of uh, 1 Kings 18. Um, and, and there it is that the Lord answers again, and after three and a half years, it rains, right? If you look at verse 18 of James, it says that the earth produce its fruit, right? Uh, I love this picture. There is blessing in repentance, right? Once the people of Israel stop their double-minded ways, God stopped the famine. And another observation that I want us to make is if God can make it not rain for years, that he's in control of nature, he can restore anyone in spiritual weakness. He can heal anyone who is sick because he is in control of all creation. And so we can have hope in the wonderful Creator, But we must pray. God does great works with our prayers. But let me remind you that the prayers of Elijah were all according to God's will. right? If you know 1 John 5, 14, that we can have confidence in God that we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So when we pray, are we praying for the Lord's will to be done? Are we praying to make His glory known? What is the center of our prayers? If it's not God's will, then we're not praying right. So we need to pray with God in mind, and we need to see that that God is the focus of our prayers. So notice that Elijah, he prayed a difficult prayer first. Remember, who wants to live in the midst of a famine? But he's praying that the Lord will make it not rain for three and a half years, but it was the Lord's will. And so he prays for it. He knew that God would provide, that he would help him to persevere. And so may we not be so fast to pray, God, take me out of this trial, but rather, God, do a mighty work through this trial. And may we come out of that trial fruitful and with a heart that brings God glory so that others will be encouraged to place their faith in Christ. All right, in conclusion here, out of time, we are, we are called to listen to these prescriptions of prayer. Right. My suggestion there, if you haven't been praying lately, to start a prayer journal or um, have a prayer closet. Go somewhere. Specifically, where you can just get alone with God, even if that's a walk, you know, or maybe in your car, you got to just go out and and pray. Uh, Number two, learn from these prescriptions or uh, pictures of prayer, right? Uh, We're called to pray um, not just for our needs and and for the Lord's will to be done in our lives, but also for others. We need to be in the habit of praying for others. Maybe just write a, we have a church directory. Um, If you don't have access, let me know. Uh, You could just look at everyone there and, and, you know, keep them in prayer. Alrighty, next week we will conclude our study in the book of James, believe it or not, uh, with one more picture of restoration. The picture we learned about today was about us taking the initiative when we realize the sins we've committed and we confess our sins to our brother. But there are times when our brother in Christ is going to have to take the initiative and rebuke us if we are straying from the truth. And that is why we need each other. God is going to use his servants to keep each other accountable.